Good afternoon, everyone, and welcome to today's episode of Long Story Short. I'm Kate Midden, here with Michael Igo. Michael, welcome. Thanks for having me. And we are going to cover a very complicated and very challenging topic, which is what government crackdowns mean for civil society. Specifically, we're going to be looking at George Soros' Open Society Foundation. Uh, you know, we only have limited time, so we're going to jump right in. Big topic. Big topic. Can you just set the stage about what we're talking about, not just with the Open Society Foundation, but in general? What is what does the landscape look like right now? Sure. Yeah. Good afternoon, everyone. Thanks for having me. Um, yeah. So I, what we're talking about is a global trend uh, that's been well remarked on and I think well recorded uh, for several years now, and that is the closing of civil society space in a number of countries around the world. Um, you know, there are a variety of indicators that sort of track how open countries are, how healthy their democracies are. And when you look at those indicators, you see a trend downwards. Um, you know, the, the organization Freedom House uh, is well known for tracking these. I, I just grabbed a couple of their recent statistics to sort of set the stage here. Um, their big report every year is called Freedom in the World. Um, and they said that in 2017, democracy faced its most serious crisis in decades. Um, so we're talking about, you know, a really a culmination of something that's been happening for a long time. 71 countries suffering net declines in political rights and civil liberties, only 35 registering gains, the 12th consecutive year of global freedom in decline. Um, and over the period since the 12-year global slide began in 2006, 113 countries have seen a net decline. So broad trends, broad pattern, and um, something that's really concerning for organizations working in the civil society space. Yeah, certainly exceptionally concerning. And you recently came back from Hungary where you were really digging into this topic. You know, when we talk about civic space in decline and democracy in decline, you know, a lot of times people don't think so much about countries in Europe. But what were you finding was happening in Hungary? Yeah, so, I mean, Hungary is at a, a, a challenging political moment. Um, I was there last month for the election when, um, you know, there's quite a bit of attention on the country and, and Prime, Minister, Prime Minister Viktor Orban's crackdown on, on civil society. Um, you know, just going back to Freedom House for a minute, Hungary is one of those countries that has seen its its score on these democratic indicators decline for 10 consecutive years. So and it's right within that pattern. And what, what are some of these indicators? Yeah, I mean, it's things like um, uh, basic civil liberties, um, uh, minority rights, freedom of the press, all of the things that you think about as sort of um, the fundamental conditions that can give rise to independent voices inside of a country and the rights of minority groups in addition to social majorities. So when you were there, I mean, how did some of these, like it's one thing to talk about indicators and how they're rated, but in your reporting, what were you seeing was happening on the ground? Yeah, so I went to Hungary because, you know, we were really interested in, in sort of looking under the hood of a major foundation that's in the business of supporting democracy, and that's the Open Society Foundations. And in Hungary, Hungary, where they've worked for decades, uh, Hungary was the first country where, where Open Society Foundations started operating in 1984, um, 
that's really the sharp edge of the issue for, for OSF, for the Open Society Foundations. George Soros and the foundation have been kind of elevated into the political spotlight in a really brazen and dramatic way. Um, and so Hungary sort of presented an, an opportunity to look at a situation where this decline in civil society uh, rights and freedoms and open space was kind of intersecting with uh, a major foundation that's committed to supporting those things. And so I was interested in asking some questions about that. Of course. So before we get into that rather tumultuous relationship right now between yeah. the government and the Open Society Foundation, can you talk a little bit about what OSF's work looks like in Hungary? I mean, you know, they're a giant foundation where the dollar amount that they're giving is in the billions. You know, what are what are they funding? What is what does the programming look like? Yeah, sure. Um, so yes, OSF is a, a huge foundation um, and bigger uh, than we realized uh, as of last year when they they don't communicate as much as other big foundations about how much money they give. Yeah. Um, they might debate that, you know. They they uh, they would maintain that they you know they keep total transparency on all of their their funding, and they do have a, a fairly comprehensive or co totally comprehensive database of the grants that they give out. So if you um, you know if you're interested in seeing what they fund, you can you can go to their website and find that out. Um, but the the issue with funding last year was that the the foundation received this major gift from from George Soros or had been receiving a, a major gift. Um, from their founder over several years and just revealed this last year that they'd received a new $18 billion. Um, so positioning them as the second largest public foundation in, sorry, private foundation in the United States behind the Gates Foundation. In Hungary, um, you know, they have a, a modest budget. We're not talking about billions and billions of dollars specifically for Hungary. Um, so they're supporting a wide range of of civil society organizations. Some of them are focused on Roma inclusion issues. That's been a big focus area for George Soros and for the foundation. Um, others are focused on LGBT issues. Um, and then some of them, and this is where the controversy sort of comes to a head, uh, are focused on issues of um, migrant rights and asylum. Um, and so they're, you know, they're issuing grants to those organizations a lot of times fairly small grants uh, just to support their, their basic operations. They're not running those activities per se, they're just uh, providing support to the, the civil, local civil society organizations that they feel are committed to things like minority rights and, um, and basic civil liberties. And in the context of Hungary, why, why would funding that be problematic? Right. Um, well, that's a good question. Funding that might not be, but doing the things that they're accused of doing by the government, by uh, Viktor Orban's party, Fidesz, um, is kind of a different story. So the, from the perspective of the government, or at least um, in the message that they've tried to deliver, um, this whole funding model is part of a broader attempt or plot you know, some of it varying levels of, of secret and behind the scenes um, to open Hungary's borders and unleash migration into the country um, and to erode the basic foundations of, of national sovereignty in favor of, of sort of EU policies and, and total uh, global integration. And what, I mean, what is the motivation behind that message and is there any truth to that? 
Well, that's a that's a really complicated. The motivation question is really complicated, and obviously is going to differ depending on who you talk to. Um, the truth question is probably more complicated, and I, I want to sort of add a disclaimer here that um, the purpose of my reporting was not to comprehensively investigate the role that George Soros is personally playing in, in European or Hungarian politics. But based on the conversations that I had while I was in the country, I think a there's a, a large segment, and certainly you know the, the organizations that I spoke to feel that the, the purpose here um, is not really about open society foundations, nor is it really about migration per se. It's about um, finding ways to do exactly what we've been talking about, to shrink that space for independent, oftentimes critical voices to exist and to operate in Hungary. And so you um, build a narrative and you um, sell that narrative to your voters and to your citizens. Uh, and then that allows you to do all sorts of things like pass really restrictive legislation that these organizations are now facing. So it sounds like you know, when we're talking about the, the issues around kind of almost the smear campaign of funding to groups that are you know, supporting refugees or migrants, we're actually talking about a much bigger issue, that this is illustrative of a much bigger um, campaign well, that's, to shrink civic space. That's the concern, is that um, migration and Soros are sort of the pretense, um, and that you know, if, if you have any interest in an independent civil society in Hungary, you would be well served to be concerned that they're currently attacking organizations that very specifically work on, on migration issues, because that eventually could be broadened out to other spheres. But it, I mean, just to back up for a second, I mean, it's so, one of the reasons we went to Hungary is because it's so dramatic. I mean, you've got, and this has been well documented, and I'm sure a number of our, our viewers have seen the pictures, but you've got George Soros personally appearing on billboards all over the country, um, sort of photoshopped into incriminating poses where he's embracing uh, Hungarian opposition leaders, you know, implying that he's basically coordinating all of the, the opposition to Viktor Orban's party. In one of the billboards, they're photoshopped to be holding wire cutters, which they've just used to clip through Hungary's border fence. So, I mean, it, it's not a subtle <laughs> campaign against um, Soros the person. And all of that is then extended to the Open Society Foundations and by implication, the groups that they fund. Is any of this personal or is it just that you have an easy target here? You have one man who is the face of this giant foundation who is, you know, applying it with money to give to programs that have been politicized. Is there any of it that's personal or is this just what was easy to latch on to for this effort? That's a good question. I, I don't know about the person, any personal relationship between Viktor Orban, for example, and, and George Soros. I, George Soros hasn't been to Hungary in years. Um, what's interesting is that uh, when Open Society Foundations was first operating in Hungary um, in the 80s, they actually funded the party that is now attacking them because at the time they were sort of a, a youth student movement that was working for um, opening up political space in Hungary. 
So there are interesting historic connections. I don't, I don't know to what extent any, any personal issues are playing into the situation today. Sure. So I did want to take a minute for anyone who's tuning in right now, please feel free to leave your questions in the comments. We're talking about government crackdowns in Hungary, particularly what they mean for the Open Society Foundation. I'm Kate Midden here with uh, senior reporter Michael Igo, just back from Hungary. So I did want to drill down a little bit because you know, we're talking about a lot of the politics that are kind of driving the government crackdown that we're seeing right now. But, you know, our kind of bread and butter at DevX is really looking at what this all means for development. Yeah. We started by talking about indicators of democracy, which of course have meeting or not meeting those indicators have development impacts. What about the programming side? So for these organizations that are getting money from OSF, how are they changing their own practices or are they? Yeah. No, I think that's that's really the crux of the issue, and it's I think it's important to distinguish between the donor OSF and the local organizations. This you know wide variety of um, often fairly small organizations that are carrying out very you know basic community development projects around Hungary. Um, I think a lot of them are. So at the moment, what they're worried about is this legislative package that is sort of on the verge of, of passing. Uh, the reason it's on the verge of passing is because the Viktor Orban's party, Fidesz, won a supermajority in the recent election. Um, so that gives them sort of the, the mandate to enact this thing that they've been talking about for a while, which is explicitly labeled the Stop Soros legislative package. Um, and basically what it would do is uh, for any organization that is engaging in activities related to migration, and that's defined very broadly and also um, somewhat opaquely according to these organizations, uh, they would have to apply for a license, which entails uh, full examination by Hungary's security services. And even if, they're, even if they pass that examination and are deemed not a threat to national security, that doesn't guarantee that they'll get the license. Um, second, it includes a 25% tax on any international funding. This sounds, and everything that you're saying reminds me a bit of like the U.S. imposing the kind of global gag rule, Mexico City policy sanctions. Like you're not outright stripping, like Hungary's not, this legislative package would not maybe outright strip all of this funding away, but it's making it very hard for them to operate. Yeah, I mean, it changes their fundamental business model and sort of the, the business model for their funders too. If you're talking about, um, you know, giving money, giving grants to, uh, to civil society organizations, you've got a cost-benefit analysis that you think about, you know, how much good are they going to be able to achieve with the money that you give them. If all of a sudden 25% of that funding is being taxed by the government, then that changes that calculation. A quarter less. Yeah, yeah. Um, so that's only part two of three. The third part is uh, that the government would have the a sort of broad ability to um, uh, deport international um, citizens uh, and also to limit Hungarian citizens from accessing within eight kilometers of Hungary's border. International citizens, so people who have acquired citizenship. No, sorry. Like international employees of, of foundations, for example, so OSF staff or whomever. So, as you were speaking to members of civil society organizations, 
What, actually, two questions. One is, you know, what are they saying about these changes or how they're adapting their models, as mm -hmm. you mentioned that they were doing? But then also, can you illustrate a bit what, what civil society in Hungary means? I mean, you mentioned that some of these are very basic community services. I mean, like what? What does that look like? Yeah, well, I mean, it's a range of things. So one of the groups that's really faced the, the brunt of this attack is called the... Um, Hungarian Helsinki Committee, and that's you know it's part of a network of, of organizations um, that work on on similar rights issues. Uh, they're under attack for providing legal services to asylum seekers. Um, so you know there's a fairly direct connection there between the migration issue and and the activities that they're doing. Um, but I spoke to uh, some leaders of fairly small organizations working well outside of Budapest that are just doing. Um, very basic development projects, things like improving access to healthcare. Um, some of them are working on on LGBT inclusion issues. Um, so not things that you would, I mean, controversial to the extent that maybe they relate to minority rights, as is OSF's focus in funding things, um, but not issues that you would typically think of as as highly political. Their concern is that you know. Um, as the as the crackdown intensifies, that it might expand into other spheres like those as well. So conceivably, as this crackdown does intensify and fewer organizations are able to operate as robustly as perhaps they do now, I'm tying it back to the broader conversation. These indicators should just get worse and worse. And is that well, like, certainly is that trend. a way to infer? No, I mean, I, I think that's why they're getting worse, is because this isn't the first attempt to crack down on these organizations. But what, I mean, if they get worse and worse and worse, like, is there any, like, why do we measure things if there are not any kind of, I don't know, if nothing arises out of watching a country's democracy indicators decline, then why measure them? Like, does that have any ramifications kind of in the international community at right. least? Um, yeah, that's a great point. I mean, I. A lot of these organizations are looking for recourse at the EU, for example, and challenging these laws um, uh, in various courts of the, the European Union. So I think they're hopeful that, you know, that drawing this kind of attention to the crackdown in Hungary might produce, um, might help to build a broader coalition that, that says, you know, this is not um, behavior that we can tolerate from an EU country. Uh, but they're, you know, that that's a complicated prospect as well because the um, Orban's party's whole complaint is that these groups are trying to bring foreign influence into the country, and so if you're then appealing to the European Union, yeah. you're just sort of providing evidence to that effect that you're trying to, um, you know, appeal to a legal body that's outside of Hungary to get Hungary to change its policies. So they're really, they're caught in a tricky situation. Um, the thing that really, that I really took away from this project is that it's the local organizations that are, that are feeling the brunt of this, even though the attention is focused on Open Society Foundations and George Soros. And, and the people that I spoke to at OSF feel that as well, that um, you know, it's always these local, independent, um, sometimes critical voices that are fundamental, a fundamental basic pillar of democracy um, that are the ones that are under attack, even if there's some sort of um, nebulous sort of Western uh, threat that's, that's painted as the excuse. 
We actually heard this proverb used at the World Bank meetings a couple of weeks ago that when the elephants fight, it's the grass that gets trampled. And that sounds very I like pursuant to what we're talking about yeah. here. And over the course of your reporting, did you, was there, were there any insights of like, okay, like, yes, this is bad, but here are some paths out of this. I mean, maybe beyond or instead of going to the EU or consulting with international bodies that it sounds like could make the yeah. situation even more problematic. Yeah. Well, I mean, here's the question that really drove my reporting, right? These are um, both at sort of the international level with open society foundations and at the local level with these uh, local civil society groups. I mean, their, their goal is to create open democratic societies and to contribute to them. So what are they taking away from the fact that all of the, the ideals that they're pursuing are going in the opposite direction. And what I was interested in is whether um, OSF in particular, but also in terms of its relationship with its grantees, is changing or adjusting its strategy in response to you know, these dramatic indicators that we talked about at the outset. And the answer is sort of they are and they aren't. Um, and I think we can let's talk about some of the specific things that they're doing to adapt but the one broad point i would say is that um, what they don't want to do and i felt this even at the local level as well although some of them are are really facing a, a difficult situation what they don't want to do is um, allow the creation of a controversy to um, imperil their work to step away from the work that they're doing just because it's become Controversial because then you put, uh, then you send the message to governments that all they need to do to uh, suppress independent critics is to create some kind of controversy. How much can a foundation like this endure? Open society foundations or the local organizations? I both. Well, they have options. I mean, they're a, a large, uh, you know, well coordinated foundation. And as we're talking about this Stop Soros package, um, that's expected, you know, either this week or, or next. I think um, Open Society Foundations is reportedly talking about pulling out of Budapest and relocating their um, that office. Um, they can do that, but a local organization that does community-based development projects um, that's staffed by Hungarians who live in that community can't move to Vienna, you know. Um, so the the some of the people that I talk to are, are well aware that they could be targeted to such an extent that they have to disappear for a while or face jail time. So it's a very different picture depending on whether you're the staff of an international foundation or the staff of a, a local civil society group. And I think you know, the, the real takeaway is that it's at the local soci civil society level where these trends find their most troublesome expression. Extremely troublesome. And what, so we've been talking about democracy indicators and kind of the cycle of crackdown on civic space means that you have less democracy. What other development indicators are going to be affected? Because it feels like if you don't have your kind of local civil society groups being able to operate as effectively, that that would have other implications for health or, um, you know, clean water, kind of other endeavors as well. I think that's a, a great prospect for some future reporting. So I'll have to go back to, to Hungary and see um, you know, if this, this crackdown does have implications for, for broader development. I, I think that's a great question. I mean, 
for the issues that I was looking at, I would worry about things like um, minority inclusion and um, you know access to to social services among those groups that um, are typically excluded. So, you know, those still fall under sort of the the category of of democratic health because you would measure them in terms of of you know minority access to healthcare, minority access to education, um, but they speak to very fundamental issues of of development. So we only have a couple minutes left, but you are coming out with a story next week um, as a result of this reporting. is also as part of our civic space in civil space in peril series that we have. You can yep. find that on our website. You can just search for that. Um, can you give a preview of what we'll see from you next week and some of the kind of some of the angles that you yeah. really found to explore in this yes. reporting? So I'm really I'm digging into um, how Open Society Foundations Foundations is internalizing this moment and what that means for uh, a foundation that's both uh, sort of recharged with this you know 18 billion dollars that that they announced that they'd received last year. Um, and I think also sort of recharged by um, the sense that their mission is as important as it's ever been. Um, so, you know, there are a few things that, that I would say that they're thinking about, and I'll go into quite a bit more depth about them in the, the article. Um, but w one thing that I found fascinating is that OSF, according to the people that I talked to, is thinking much more about their relationship with social majorities even though they're a foundation that is historically focused on minority rights. And so what they mean by that is that they're increasingly aware that the way that the issues that they work on are perceived by majority populations in a country are going to have direct implications for their ability to operate and to work on those issues in that country. So they're thinking about, uh, you know, they're doing things like public opinion polling that they haven't done as much of before to understand how citizens of a European country think about the term human rights and then what that means for the way that they message issues around human rights. Um, they're also thinking much harder about how the, the messages that they deliver or the, the activities that they fund in one country might be perceived by social majority groups in another country, thereby affecting their ability to work in that country, sometimes years later. So they're thinking much more about these um, sort of unintend unintended consequences and spillover effects of the work that they do. You might typically think like, I come up with a plan for my work in Hungary, I'm thinking about the dynamics of Hungary. They have to think now about, well, what is the work that we did in Egypt five years ago? How is that likely uh, to hold consequences for the work that we want to do in Hungary now, given what people understand to have been our role then? So it's just such a complicated political context that they're operating in. And a lot of fodder for reporting to untangle some of these very challenging issues. Indeed. Michael, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you. It's and, been a pleasure. And do keep on top of Michael's reporting. You can follow him at Alter Igo. His story um, on exactly everything we've been talking about will be out next and week. More. And more. Yeah, and I imagine <laughs> a number of other stories after that we couldn't possibly fit it all into one. Uh, if you have not already, please follow us on Twitter, twitter.com slash devx, and on Facebook, and we will be back here next week. Thank you for joining us. Thanks so much.